I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is coming off! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello everyone and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here. I think I'm going to riff the intro, Murray. Might freestyle it this time around. <laughs> so it was a heavy weekend of sporting action, dominated by two heavyweights. And Munster left a few of their own heavyweights at home as they went to Wales and rocked into Parky Scarlets and sparked the Scarlets to maintain their own unbeaten record. <sighs> That's a poor start. It gets worse, <laughs> I'm afraid. Ulster. 15 points on the board, but with 14 injuries, Dan McFarlane was forced to improviso to overcome Benetton Treviso at Ravenhill. Murray's shaking his head. Yeah, this is... We're going to get there, okay? Dragons came to Galway. Connacht were red hot. But in the end, it was the men from Newport who rodneyed all over the Westerners' parade. That sounds vaguely disgusting. <laughs> and, and fitting that on this spookiest of months... That the uh, shit, I botched it. (laughs) (laughs) Fitting that on this spookiest of months, Adam's family had a day to remember as Leinster burned Zebra at the stake. Listen, you can shake your head all you want. We need to get some sponsors for this podcast. Where are the sponsors? Like, where are the hell are where the hell are me undies? Not literally mine. I should stress. That is good, Gav. If you keep if you keep that up, we'll definitely have a couple of high-profile sponsors on board that can be your new uh, kind of feature i enjoyed that don't know how you made it all up on the spot thanks a million maybe impressed. i need to make it a little bit more corporate you know like do you know who really backed brave over the weekend nah shut up <laughs> you heard murray kinsella there i can see the fury in bernard jackman's eyes so let's talk about rugby but firstly birch how are you good thank you that was up there with the anthems fiasco um the battle uh so please no more no more else i'll just join after you've done your intro um don't put me through that that's fair we're <laughs> going to chat about the provinces games last weekend look ahead to the weekend coming a few more topics as well to go through and we might as well kick off with those now murray and people will be aware that there is a feasibility study going on into a prospective women's line store and we've got anthony eddie as part of that study and also neve briggs uh, we've spoken about Eddie in the past, uh, in the past on the pod, and I have to say, there's probably no better woman than Briggsy to be involved in it. Like I've been really enjoying her punditry on RTE, and listen, she knows that game inside out. So, if I was to ask you if you were a part of the study, because as we've established on the pod previously, the two of you would do a better job of running world rugby than just about anybody else. Uh, what would you be thinking? <laughs> like, is this a, a prospect that excites you, and is it actually feasible to your mind? It definitely would excite me if there was a, a tour brought together. I mean, I love the lines in, in men's rugby and there is something, um, I suppose, I don't know. Uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful concept that brings together different teams and, and is kind of unique to rugby. So definitely there's the excitement of that side of it. Um, I do kind of doubt surrounding the women's game, though. I, I do worry sometimes that we just try and copy what's going on in men's rugby in women's rugby and that's not always the best thing like if you look at it right now and you're really brutally honest about it a line squad would predominantly be england players uh, with a couple from from the other nations like literally a handful um, and i don't mean that in a demeaning way to other players from other countries but the reality is england are quite a quite a bit ahead of the other nations who would be involved in a lions tour i also wonder whether it would um and maybe this applies to men's game as well, whether it would actually just 
hammer home the the gap between certain nations in the game like maybe there's a better way of doing it in women's rugby that's a unique concept to to the women's game potentially having nations like spain involved potentially doing it between the two hemispheres even um and and bring it together that way so i do have kind of doubts about it and that's why i'll be really interested to see how and exactly what they study in terms of feasibility if it's about commercial i'm sure that it would drive that side of it um but just in terms of competitiveness and and the growth of the women's game i definitely have a few doubts there i do like the idea of a more solheim uh, solheim cup format birch like an all european team would be pretty cool and as murray says rather than just directly copying the men's game with the reality that say the women's lions wouldn't necessarily have that heritage that the men's equivalent do why not do something new and listen if you can add players from spain maybe france is going too far i'm not sure but it would be its own unique concept then and possibly dilute the reality again as murray points out that the team currently would be dominated by english players unless you introduce some sort of quota which gets messy yeah absolutely i'd like to hope that this working group which is um you know it's a, it's got a some really strong um people working on it that they won't just look at you know can they have a, a women's lines tour actually they'll do what you know murray murray speaking about actually look outside the box a little bit and say well what would work best to promote um the women's game in, in the northern hemisphere and southern hemisphere and is it is it a lines concept is it something different or should should the resources for the next three or four years be into you know the domestic uh competitions to in, in, in improve the competitiveness so if you did have a lines tour it wouldn't be 85 percent english players based or um that'd be a better product um you know that would actually entice younger um people and, and other people outside to really follow the sport in, in a proper meaningful way so it, you know the title is it's a women's lions feasibility study but you would hope that the fact that these people are together um and bringing ideas from across the um you know across the four nations that they actually would look at what's happening in their own countries as well and seeing is there any way they can they can learn from each other and, and share best practice time will reveal all i'm pretty sure sorry Murray, you wanted to come in there one one thing that we could see i think would be cross-border club competition in the women's game um and potentially that could be something that comes out of this you know british and irish lines hosting or overseeing a tournament even if it's not every year annually but um even speaking to people in ireland i think that's something that would really excite them and would drive forward definitely the irish national team if you're getting that exposure at club level and not just waiting until you're in the national team to go and play against um different opposition and get those different experiences so there's loads of different ways this could go but i think there is a real opportunity in women's rugby right now to be creative and come up with things that are different to the men's game the calendar even can be rigid i don't think it has to sit exactly alongside the the men's calendar obviously there's the six nations in a different window that's good to see there's going to be the wxv competition and it just feels like there's this kind of clean slate and, and hopefully what comes out of this feasibility study is is another part of that um calendar a couple of high profile departures from the men's sevens program then murray adam levy stepping away as is greg o'shea they've put a huge amount into this and uh deserve their dues but i guess frustrating from their point of view from everybody's point of view that ultimately it's probably finances that have removed them or caused themselves to remove themselves from the program we know they're paid what is it 18 grand a year and listen they're both men in their mid-20s like it's it's not enough to survive and probably not worth the dedication required unfortunately in this instance 
Yeah, I mean, firstly, congrats to them on their on their brilliant careers. They were part of an, a really cool and unique journey with the Ireland Men's Sevens team. They didn't get the finishing point they wanted in terms of the performances at the Olympics, but they are Olympians, and that's a, an incredible achievement and something very unique from rugby. Um, but this is the reality of it. I mean, speaking to guys over the last couple of years, they'd always flag this, that it wasn't a viable long-term career option. As you say, they're 26 years old, so relatively young in, in terms of rugby, but... 18k salary for the sheer level of commitment it requires you're a full professional i mean that's what the contracts are, are termed as in the rfu um and that has been a, a bit of a obviously friction point and, and there was negotiations that, negotiations there with rugby players ireland trying to get that increased and and make it more of a viable um avenue but that's not the reality of the situation and given the financial difficulties the rfu have had with covid and, and all unions indeed have had that's not likely to change anytime soon. So um, it just highlights how much sacrifice the players have to put in and, and the fact that maybe not everyone's going to be able to do this because, as you say, like 18K when you're living in Dublin, trying to rent, trying to live that professional lifestyle, eat really well, the best quality foods, the best quality recovery, um, that, that is a, a difficult thing. So you're, you're giving up a, a lot there. Um, and it'll be interesting just to see how this develops now because we finally have that sevens calendar for for 2022 season with a few new legs um but it has been a bit of an upheaval around sevens even in gb you saw in in uk rather you saw uh, funding withdrawn and then restored and there's a bit of uncertainty around the whole code i suppose so a big year ahead for it and and fascinating to see what happens in ireland with guys um, making that decision whether they can actually do that for a year or two and, and put that into the program or it's more of those academy players who are coming across and there's a whole range of issues there with, with those guys as well I mean we know for a fact some of them have felt frustrated being pulled away from 15s at times um, so, so there's a whole lot of issues there but um, I suppose a, a tribute to those guys who put in so much effort um, for their country and, and achieved loads and have loads to be proud of Well on the topic of academy contracts Birch, you wrote a brilliant piece in the Sunday Independent over the weekend and it addressed what you perceive to be a conservatism within Irish rugby towards granting players full-time academy contracts or full academy contracts uh, survival of the richest being the general theme. I believe a few people crawled out of the woodwork and accused you of peddling an agenda, which of course you were. <laughs> yeah, no, so I, I have an agenda, but it's not against Leinster. I'm a proud Leinster man. My best years of my career uh, were in Leinster. I think the RFU do a great job in, in a huge amount of ways um, and have created a very safe and sound um, and, and well-funded professional game here. My agenda is against... Um, the fact that I believe now it's very difficult for kids from lower class backgrounds to become professional rugby players, and that that's what that was my my issue was. So we we're different. Uh, so my agenda is that no, it's nothing else. It's not against Bagdar if you ran that. I just wanted to point out a lot of people maybe don't realize or maybe they they're so focused on supporting their team that they don't care um, how kids are produced, um, but. We are an outlier against the rest of the world in how we contract the best young talent. And my argument would be that uh, if you can give the best young talent a contract at 18, um, you know, it's a leveler playing field because, uh, you know, thankfully most kids get to stay in school till they're 18. After that, 
you know, in, in, in lower class families, they they tend to have to fend for themselves a little bit more so than middle class or upper class kids. And, and uh, maybe I'm wrong on that, but that, that would be certainly my perception. And, you know, I, I just think it's very hard for a kid now to wait who, who isn't from a, um, a middle class family or maybe doesn't live in Dublin. So um, we know the cost of rent in, in, in Dublin is very expensive. So it's even got worse than it was three or four years ago um, to be able to stay, uh, survive for two years until they're 20, which is when, you know, Leinster in particular are, are making their decision. That That's my argument. I mean, you know, if you look at Wales where I've been and I, and I understand and I know it's a different model, but I, I don't think we should just like just be happy that we get most of our kids from private schools and the odd the odd youth player and um, we should be looking to grow the game and this is at a time when soccer's been on its knees to be honest and we haven't really grown the participation rates as much as i think we could have and, and soccer will bounce back so maybe we've missed an opportunity but i don't think we help ourselves by as i said not making those decisions till 20 when you know kids in England or, or Wales can be contracted at 16, 17. So they know at 16, 17, they don't have to go into an apprenticeship. They don't have to go into a call center. Um, they can actually stay in that the pathway with a little bit of money to try and become professionals. Uh, and I, I don't know if I, I probably didn't explain it well. I'm not great on writing, but that was my point. And I, I, you know, and I think if you survival of the richest rather than survival of the fittest is how it is, is gone. And I know that's 90% of the demographic at the moment is, um, is kids who can afford to, to wait till they're 20. So from an IRFU point of view, you know, it's a safer bet to make a decision at 20 because you can see how they've grown and how they developed at 19 and 20. Um, but, you know, for example, in Wales, Leon Brown, who's now an international tight head, um, you know, Liam Williams, who was a scaffolder, uh, Lee Halfpenny, um, you know, they might not have survived till they're 20. And I, and I know, you know, Sia Khaleesi, I know it's a very extreme example, but, you know, he relied on a board, on a on a scholarship and then obviously an academy contract to to get where he's got. And, and um, you know, you could say there's no Sia Khaleesi's in Ireland ever, and, and, and that's fine. But I, I wonder, can the next Trevor Brennan come true? Can the next Keith Earls come true um, uh, with the way it's being run at the moment? And, I, I you know, and maybe it's only one or two we're missing out on. You know, the example of, of Bertie Newman um, that went to Bristol, like Bristol just have that facility where they're contracting the 17. So um, it fitted into what he wants. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm not saying Leinster are going to lose loads of players. Uh, that wasn't my point. Um, they might lose a couple. But my point was, is it really working on improving the diversity or, or the opportunities for everyone? Um, and it's not that we have to do anything different. Literally everyone else makes a decision at 17, 18. Um, and... Why do they make those decisions? And I don't think it's it's all down to the fact that they um, that they know it can be they can keep those guys till twenty. I think they just know that if you're stopping a guy going to university or you're 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 stopping him going to an apprenticeship or a job, you need to reward him. And that that was my point. But um, look, it's it's good that people are thinking about it and debating. And you know, I do have an agenda, but I'd like to be clear on what my agenda was. It was to try and point out that it doesn't really help those kids who don't have the funding. To stay in the fight. That that that's my point. Okay. Hopefully, it's clearer now. Oh yeah, typical media. Welcome, uh, <laughs> Murray. What are your thoughts on it overall? Just what Birch was saying there, and I guess the fact that maybe once upon a time it was a little bit more fit for purpose, but now it might feel that little bit little bit outdated. And actually, I think that is partially because the cost of living in Ireland has gone up, particularly in Dublin. Rent is obviously insane. Anybody uh, who's uh, been there or has friends there or lives there knows that. 
Yeah, it's a really uh, wide-ranging issue, and um, I wonder what the perfect system is. Like, I know we're joking about us running World Rugby. I don't know the answer to that. I, I think a lot of thought would have to go into that, and I can understand why in, in many ways they are if you were happy with what they're doing. We've definitely spoken about the need to diversify. That's a really good word. The input of players into the game, um, and it is really difficult. What what do even if you're in the academy, you're you're only getting a couple of grand really a, a season. I think it went up to eight at one stage, and it's gone back down a little bit from there. Sub academy players, obviously, like that's a really tough position to be in, as Birch pointed out in the article, because you're training just as hard, if not harder, in many cases, as those academy guys without any um, any of the kind of similar. Uh, financial reward there and and that's not a reward for for the academy players really it's enough to get by and and help along but you do need some support from from elsewhere i mean that's part of sport really and I th- i'm trying to think of other like athletics even olympians chasing their their goals and their dreams will have to make a lot of sacrifices and get support um from a lot of different sources to actually go and do that and you give up so much and you actually struggle financially i think in a lot of cases there to, to chase that dream it's probably part of sport which isn't um in the limelight but is a, a really difficult part of it so i, I just yeah I, I can see totally Bernard's point but i wonder what the better system is that you know say you start contracting a couple of those 18 year olds they go on to good deals the other 18 year olds then want some of those deals and your 20 year olds who are on a, a smaller deal than that are then pushing for more and, and as we said the financial squeeze in the game is is quite severe at the moment so honestly i don't really have an answer for it i, I think it's definitely right to flag it as an issue um and it, it again maybe it, it raises the point of irish players being based abroad and and kind of outside the system then and you know if you're happy enough for younger guys to go away and learn their rugby uh, in different clubs then maybe you have to open the door a little bit more for them to be involved even in underage national teams and and beyond that so um yeah there's lots in it and i think yeah. you could spend days debating it yeah, Murray, I, 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 I totally understand what you're saying, but I would also say that a lot of those Olympic athletes or Olympic hopefuls, they get scholarships to university, um, which gives them the education. So they use their sporting prowess to to get good education, whether that's in the states, etc. And I, and I don't think it's a it's a massive cost. What I'm saying is actually, you know, if they give Leinster or, or whatever a Munster, Ulster, Connacht, give out five academy first year academy contracts a year, they do it. They do it at 18, right? And the rest of the kids. The rest of the kids go and play for UCD, Trinity, Lansdowne, Clontarf, Belleville. Just look at Leinster example, and they play Macquarie Cup and they play under twenties, and they they embrace club rugby, they embrace university rugby at fully, um, and that is their platform to get into the Irish under twenties, right? So it's not saying you've given up your dream, but the Irish under twenties is basically where you can show that they made a poor decision uh, with those academy kids at eighteen. Uh, but what I think that. The, what it'll do is it'll allow those kids have part-time jobs. It'll allow those kids still play rugby, be embraced by by the club or university rugby. And I think it'll actually help them play for, for longer. It'll drive the competition level because some of those sub-academy kids are now being pulled from that under-20s competition, right? So, which means that the kids who are playing the under-20s competition have less of a chance of playing for Irish under-20s. So we've we've just messed around with it. It's not about money. It, it's, it, it's not a huge money cost because... The cost of keeping a sub academy and keeping thirty players in a in a holding pen and all the staff that goes into that um, is actually uh, significant in in itself. So um, you know the money thing is, is bullshit. It's just uh, it's just actually allow them make well keep guys 
well, yeah, they, they, they make decisions later, which, in fairness, should improve your chance of being uh, accurate. But if you're the experts, if you're the best in talent ID, if you're the best coaches, if you know your your pathway, you know, back yourself to make the decision at 18 and let, let the kids um, who... Who maybe see so for example right so okay say a kid from the from um from poor means, it's harder for him to be able to you know come to Dublin and play for a club you know a Bechtel Wesley etc. If he's in a sub academy because he he can't get a part time job do you understand so you're you're actually taking like I remember Sean O'Brien and it's gone back a long time like Sean Sean was asking Colin McEntee you know, for jobs around the place in Leinster. So when we were, when I was a senior contract player, Sean was a sub-academy player and he was doing the ice bats, you know, for us to make a few extra quid. He stayed in my house, you know, when he, uh, some nights a week to save him on travel because he couldn't afford to rent in Dublin. Now, Sean stayed in the fight and he's had a great career. Um, but uh, there's not as many, there's not many kids at 18, 19 who'd sell their mother's or their granny's brown bread. You know, I don't know if you know that story, but he was selling brown bread to the players, you know, to make a few extra quid. And, and that's, and look at the career he's had. How many young fellas? And there's not many like as good as him. But are we missing out one or two of those characters, those those real drivers in a dressing room, those elite players, because they don't have the means? And look at in England, and we and we people laugh down their nose. I look down their nose at England, and you know the Twickenham and the, and the Range Rovers in the car park. Kyle Sinkler, Ellis Gen, Ellis Genge. You know, I remember Connor Shea saying to me. I was doing an RT game with him years ago and I drove him back from Limerick and he said, I have this kid in the academy, uh, Kyle Sinclair, he's 16. He's from a very, very poor, tough part of London, but he's got so much potential if we can keep him on the right track, right? Now, Kyle Sinclair is a British and Irish line and uh, he's a phenomenally interesting personality character uh, and I think he's he's helping to grow the game. Ellis Genge, would he be in rugby if he had a, if he had to wait till he was 20 for an academy contract? I doubt it. Look, you know, Do a bit of research on him. Is he a fascinating and interesting person, character? Yeah, he's captain of Leicester now. He's an English international. So even England have have embraced this, and I just I just wonder, are we still a little bit stuck where where we were 15, 20 years ago? And I know we talk about the over reliance on the private schools. The private schools are doing a great job, and and that should be uh, you know that should be congratulated. But are we doing enough outside of that? And I don't think the, the contracting system helps, not just because. I'm saying that the, the 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 kid who doesn't have the means will get an academy contract. I think it frees up them to stay in the system longer, which you know may eventually let them back into the pathway if they come in at 20 from from an Irish under 20s where they've been able to work a, a part time job and play for for their club. If you get me, and it kind of probably relates to another issue we've discussed, which is that the the bottleneck is so tight in terms of just having four teams you're talking about in terms of maybe loan moves for younger guys birch before um like they're great examples from england where you have a a much bigger number of clubs so there's more scope for for guys to go like think of the numbers of players coming through academy systems and underage systems in each of those clubs whereas in ireland we literally have you know four provinces and and that's it so there's a there's a whole range of issues there in terms of opening more avenues for guys and it being less of a of bottleneck maybe getting through. Yeah, just I, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just asking the question, um, and it, you know it's worth thinking about because what you see on a Saturday in the RDS is amazing. But you know if you think you know 15, 16, 17 year olds, how can how can they see? Can they genuinely see the opportunity to play there? Um, and if they can because of their talent, that's phenomenal. 
but imagine they don't have the means to do it um that's sad in my opinion looking back on the weekend just gone then gents we've been doing kind of performance of the weekend first over the last couple of weeks so probably should start with monster and there was plenty good to talk about which we will do but obviously the aftermath of the game was dominated by the injury to orgis nyman and i actually don't know what to say about it apart from like shit anyway and i just felt horrendous for him I, like obviously everybody was gutted i was angry really on his behalf you know that that this could happen to a guy i know there are worse things going on in the world he will rebound and all that but it's just cruel um i don't know birch having played the game for a long time and having probably seen guys struggle with injuries and maybe even to this extent where you know you're losing basically two years of your career is there anything you can say to him as a player or what are coaches saying to him at this point because i don't know how you lift a guy's spirits in the few days after this happening yeah it's very hard i think the biggest thing is is feeling feeling wanted and um secure and this is a challenge for munster is that a challenge for for munster to be able to give him that feeling obviously look we know the the the, well, the medical care in ireland is is phenomenal and um both in terms of the surgeons that they they use what you know and they will send you wherever in the world you need to go to get the best so that's 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 a huge um uh huge bonus for for rg now um secondly you know in terms of in munster um the physios the doctors the snc will be will be incredible so he, he has a great chance of of bouncing back and and i know that some people say well there must have been a mistake in his rehab last time there, there might not have been. It's just really bad luck. Um, the way the way the way it's happened, and, and there's no there's no doubt he can come back from this. Um, I would say, you know, the fear is where's my future? You know, where am I going to be playing next year? From his point of view, and 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 some people have said to me, ah, oh, how can you feel sorry for someone who's earning half a million a year or whatever? To be honest, you know, players want to play. They want to play. They want to. They want to do what. They came here to do. Uh, if, you, if you're an outsider or if you're from Munster, you want to represent your your province and you want to be part of the team on a weekly basis. Um, and that's that's going to be the hard thing for him. The money thing, in terms of his his salary now, you know, he doesn't have the worries of his salary for the next twelve months. But it's the fact that he can't get out in that field, having waited a year and help Munster Munster win games. And uh, it's that feeling of uselessness um, that you have when you're injured. Uh, it's it's. You actually kind of feel like you're in the way around the place a little bit, and that's why they tend to to try and you know um, have the injured players in at different times a little bit, so you don't overlap and, and they become a group within a group. But the reality is, he'll be in a group of probably ten or fifteen players or ten or twelve players for the next next twelve months, and everyone else in that group will leave, you know, and, and new people will come in, and he'll still be he'll still be there, he'll be like the daddy of it, and he's done that for for last year as well. So I would love to see Munster try and re-sign him, to be honest, and I know. That's going to be very difficult, um, but I think that if they could make him an offer, you know, over the next month or two, based on obviously medical uh, advice being that he will get back, because obviously we don't know the nature of this of this scan, and we know it's a re-rupture, but we don't know if there's any other damage. Um, but I would love to see them try and keep him, and because the market for second rows is so hot, every single club that I speak to is looking for. A player like him, obviously, most of them wouldn't have the money to get him, but like that's the profile everyone's looking for. Um, so there's no doubt that he will find. If Munster don't tie him down by December, he'll have signed somewhere else, um, and he will be on a big package. 
And I just think it would be a shame to have invested in for two years. The word is he's phenomenally popular in the dressing room. He is one of the best locks in the world. I'd love to see him on a on a maybe if if money's tight on a on a smaller retainer with with bigger match fees and, and bonuses so he can get to where he wants. And, and I'd love to think that he would have the loyalty to to sign up and and stay. And even though it's been frustrating two years, who knows how good year three and year four could be if you know. So that would be my thing that Munster could show. If they could do it, and again, it's not just Johan's decision, etc., etc., and he's a foreign player and he's potentially blocking, you know, Tom O'Hearn, Finney and Witcherly, etc. I understand there's lots of permutations, but I think from a from a human side and to show that Irish clubs, um, you know, is a safe place to go for a foreigner, it would be uh, it would be a good move. How do you anticipate that contractual situation playing out, Murray? Because uh, I'd accept as well, even for people listening at home, it can almost be, or it can almost feel crass to talk about a guy's future when he's just taken this blow and just on a personal level for him, things are already tough and the uncertainty is probably equally tough or uh, partly tough as well. But uh, at the same time, this is a business and as much as Johan van Gran wants to retain him uh, based on what he's saying, and I'd imagine as much as Snyman himself would like to stay, even if it was for a year, just to get the sense of playing for Munster properly because he's had that little taste of adulation and seemed to enjoy it, and as Bernard says, seems really popular around the place. Ultimately, though, like it is uh, more of an executive decision, and I'm wondering, maybe because of his injury profile, even though there will be medical assessments and evidence provided to make a case to re-sign him, that maybe the decision would be made to to just park it and just accept that by pure chance, by almost the wrong kind of divine intervention, it didn't work out. I think it's a situation of, of waiting and seeing. As Bernard says, you've got to get a real clarity around the injury and the recovery and the, the chances of a full return to, to what he's capable of. Because if that is the case, then it's incredibly tempting to keep him on board. I hope they do because I think there'll be massive reward if he can get back. And, and we know that physiologically like it is possible to get back even from a re-rupture there are a number of examples in sport maybe not as many in rugby but it is possible to do it and he's turning 27 in January so he's not exactly ancient you know there's so much good rugby left in him um, if he can get back from from this one so I think they'll probably wait and, and see how that unfolds there's obviously the situation of the the private investment which is part of his um, his salary they Munster went out and, and got that and there's a generous benefactor there that would probably feature in in any ne- negotiations and and trying to get that towards that salary that he that he has been on for the for the two years. Damien Dialende has obviously had a contract as well, and, and I do think it'll be a real battle to hold on to him. Like he's just such an incredibly effective presence in midfield. Obviously, we saw him against the All Blacks recently, showing that he's one of the best in the world. So that he'll be in hot demand as well. And um, if he does leave, if Munster aren't able to hang on to him, well, then that for me increases the importance of keeping a player like Snyman, who is we just as Bernard said, he's he's one of the best locks in the world. He's a really unique player. Um, he can change your game, as we saw was going to be the case until that deeply unfortunate moment where he comes down from the restart. So I think they'll definitely get that clarity around the injury, but. From my point of view, the the payoff for being loyal to him and understanding that he can get back to to where he was before would would be huge, and I think that'll be from his side as well. You know, if he gets back on the pitch in a monster color with a new, whatever it is, maybe a one year plus one year contract, or or as Bernard says, staggered in terms of payment towards actually being on the pitch, 
um, I think he'd have such a motivation to to repay that because you know he's what 54 minutes isn't on the pitch but there's a real bond there like a real strong bond between him and and fans already and definitely the players around him there's such growth for him in the squad there's such goodwill towards him getting back and that's not just about him as a player he has really I suppose impressed everyone through a tough time um with the with the first ACL of how positive he's been he has actually been a, a good influence on people that are younger than him and, and in the same position as him so he has become real part of the furniture albeit not playing much on on the pitch at all so I think there's lots of reasons there as long as that rehab is going well to to recontract him in better news for Munster then Birch they kind of did a Leinster in a way because in advance of the game when Van Grand named his team you kind of thought all right he's sending over what's ostensibly an A team like a BNI Cup team almost and I certainly feared for them I think a lot of people did you're going over to Scarlets who are in decent form in their own right I mean last year's game for example was incredibly close on the same ground but Munster kind of showed little regard for I don't know form book or the fact that they were kind of a makeshift outfit on this particular day they actually looked incredibly well oiled and quite fluid at times so vindication for Van Graan in his selection first and foremost and just a very impressive display as well yeah, it's it's brilliant for a coach when he can rotate like that and, and still go and get the maximum points away from home against the Scarlets team who, who fancy their chances. I think if you look at it, I know the Munster Academy has been much maligned um, and they've made changes there, but this crop of, of young players that we've seen play for, for Ireland in their 20s, or I've seen play for Ireland in their 20s, obviously Munster fans have seen them in their clubs and their schools. I think there's a bit about them. Um, now they're a little bit older maybe than... We're seeing them a little bit later than we would like, whatever. But, you know, there's a, their A-team over the last year have been, have been good. When these kids, uh, when these young men have got chances for Munster, um, I, I, I thought they've always um, been impressive, but just probably haven't got to back up those games uh, week to week. And, and I think you saw that depth they had the, the other day. You know, someone like... Um, uh, like Baron a hooker, oh, any of them, Tom O'Hearn again, um, you know, uh, Coombs, they're just they're, they're just very solid player. They're very good players, and they went over there and just in, from the first minute imposed, you know, a, a high tempo game on on Scarlets and made Scarlets look really average. So Munster have really good strength and depth at the moment. Um, uh, you know, I still worry about the front rows at the top end, but um. They are in a, in a good place. And that, that win in terms of squad morale um, is going to be absolutely massive for, for Johan. So, uh, yeah, they're in, they're in a great place. We've spoken about the front row plenty in the past. And just to stick with yourself briefly, Birch, a man you brought up there, Baron, uh, a casual man. So maybe one of those players to whom we were referring earlier. Or did he go to Rockwell possibly? So maybe not. But um, I don't know. Like, Given that we've had concerns about sort of their dynamism or their power, in those areas. Nice Scandal, by the way, has had a fantastic start to the season and looks a little bit more dynamic than he has in the past. But can Barron potentially play into the reckoning there for bigger games? He seems to have the physique of more so a back row almost. Uh, and I think he actually has played back row for Gary Owen in the past. But I don't know. We've spoken so many times about all of the prospects Munster have coming through and maybe he doesn't get the recognition he deserves as being a bona fide prospect. Yeah, that was I would say that was his statement game where he just laid down a marker that now you're gonna include him in any discussions around you know the successors to, to Scandal and, and obviously how long that takes um, is up to is up to is up to Niall. But um, 
yeah, he's he, he looked really good, very comfortable on the ball. I mean, the depth at hooker we have at the moment is is phenomenal, you know. So Munster, Kevin O'Byrne, obviously Scandal, um, Barron, the two lads in in Connacht. Um, uh, I thought Rob Herring was outstanding for for Ulster the other night, and obviously Dan Sheen is now coming into the into the pecking order in in um, in Munster, in Leinster amongst you know uh, Tracy Cronin and, and Kelleher. So we have a huge amount of depth there. Um, in, in that position, um, and Barron, Barron definitely looks like he has a little bit more to his game than, than some of the others. Murray at 10, Ben Healy was outstanding. Is he the outstanding 10 at Munster at the moment? With the caveat being that obviously Joey Carberry had his own long stint out of the game, is still finding his feet a little bit. But in Healy's performance, there were just some exceptional little glimpses of what he can do with his passing, which we probably haven't seen necessarily so much in all of his previous good performances. Yeah, really impressive. The one for Calvin Nash's try um, in the first half in particular was just superbly weighted, just right over the fingertips of Steph Evans on the edge. I mean, if you get those passes too high, you give those inside defenders a chance to catch up and maybe make a try-saving tackle. It was just beautifully weighted. And there were a couple of more of them. Obviously, he had the 50-22 kick earlier on. Really clever play from Munster and, and showed the the power and the accuracy of, of his right boot. He's place-kicking well early this season. I think he's at 83%, whereas Carby, who's had a few tough efforts, is down around 55%. Um and and yeah, Healy looks really confident. He looks like he's ready to to really challenge. I don't think Carberry has got back to where we all know he can get to, and even beyond that, we we feel he can get to. He has a big ceiling in his game. Um, he's had errors early on this season. A couple of restarts out on the full. Um, obviously his tackle count hasn't um been spectacular. Both of them actually are, are down around fifty percent in terms of their their tackle uh, completion. And and Healy's given away a couple of penalties at defensive rocks where he's just not being able to roll away. I think that'll be a little, little work on for him. He, he did make errors even last weekend. You know, you, there was one kick out on the full, um, obviously giving away that penalty. Um, and he's definitely still still learning. But it is a real positive for Munster to have him applying some pressure. And <laughs> Jack Crowley only got a, a stint off the, the bench as well. But you'd hope to see a lot more of him. Like, definitely there's a bit of pressure on, on Carberry now. But I really think he's a player who's worth continuing to back you know let's not forget he's an Ireland international he's helped Ireland beat the All Blacks helped into a Grand Slam he's been outstanding at, at, at times for Munster I think of that 2019 match against Gloucester away from home where he showed the, the full array of his abilities and and yes he probably hasn't got back there since the injury but it really can take a while to get back to the rhythm of it and get your confidence back to me he doesn't look assertive and confident on, on the pitch as much as he could be um, even around his tackling I think there's just a little bit of hesitancy or a little doubt there he's not quite getting his feet close enough to the tackle and really completing um, that that wrap with his arms little details like that but there are glimpses as well even in the Stormers match you know where he straightens up the line beats a bit of line speed plays a, a nice little pass on the inside um, but but yeah you're absolutely right to pose the question because it certainly is more of a, a debate than it was when Ben Healy's slamming over penalties from 50 meters and beyond when he's eking every meter out of a line kick and then on top of that really showing progression in the area of the game where maybe you, you question whether he could live to, live to Joey's standard we we know Carberry can pass he's really creative presence and you maybe felt that that wasn't Healy's kind of Natural is the wrong word, but his the, the strength of his game, and clearly he's worked on it. He's challenging himself. He's pushing that extra pass, um, 
and he looks more creative all of a sudden. So that's a really positive place to be in. Um, at the at the back of my mind, it's it's always nagging there. It's always nagging that I think Joey Carberry could be a really good fullback. Um, honestly, and I know we've spoken about that a number of times, and and Stuart Lancaster felt that in, in Leinster as well. So it would be fascinating to see them maybe have a little glimpse of that. But I do think they'll be rewarded um, for for continuing to to back Joey Carberry, and I think there's a lot more to come from him. In his in his rugby career, so um, it is going to be a nice little battle there at ten. Just, I'd like to come in on that. Um, so I went for a few beers with the Stormers coaches, and they were the defense coach was loving how he they put they, they made Joey you know have a poor performance against the Stormers, and they were raving about their line line speed, and and I went back and watched to see how they really targeted Joey, and they actually they didn't really the the and it's it's chalk and cheese the two the two performances um because. The, against the Scarlets, the Munster forward carries got on the front foot. So, in fairness to Ben Ely, he had a, an armchair ride. Okay, and now, um, and uh, against the Stormers, it wasn't like shooters or or massive line speed that really affected Joey. It was the fact they were getting knocked behind the gain line, um, and the ball he was playing off a little bit that spooked him more than anything else. So, um, I think that we need to take so, like, we need to see how Ben can handle. You know um, his 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 flatness, his depth, his kicking game, his passing game. When his forwards are getting knocked over behind the gain line, because that's what happened against the Stormers. Um, and I I actually felt sorry for Joey, and he did get a little bit lost at times and things like that. And he stopped being connected at the back of a forward pod because you felt he knew they weren't going to get any momentum. So he was trying to think about the next phase. Where you watch the Scarlets game again, and, and I was wondering how Hugh Hogan would. Hugh Hogan, Hogan was the contact skills coach in Leinster. And then he got. He's now the defense coach in uh, in the Scarlets, and and I wasn't sure how because the Welsh love a rush defense, and they, you know that's what Sean Edwards, um, uh, brought in and led to great success. That's what getting Jenkins has now re uh, re implemented after he took over from Byron Haywood. So at their core, the Scarlets haven't been. The Scarlets have been an up and out team uh, with Byron Haywood, and since he left. And it looks like the Scarlets under Hugh are going to be a, an up and out um, and a quite passive defence. And it just gave, it just gave you know Ben Healy um, uh, so much and Cronin at nine. They had so much time. So that's not likely to happen every week. And I think Ben Healy has been phenomenally impressive. He has a, a, a range in his kicking game that no other ten in Ireland has. Even Johnny Sex in terms of length, his goal kicking is very good. So I think. And he's very seems to be very confident, right? Which is, you know, some uh, some really strong fundamentals to have as a as a starting ten. Um, but I think if Munster want to develop how they want to play, I think Joey deserves more time. But if Munster are going to be a team that you know play ten man rugby and and be very direct, then I think there's no question Ben Healy has to come into the, uh, the picture. And in European games or away from home, etc., being able to play territory, being able to win penalties at the breakdown, um, win penalties from your line-out mall and kick them for 50 metres can often get you through to the next round of European Cup. So um, I think they've got a lovely balance between both of them. But then obviously Jack Crowley has this you know, rough diamond that we all want to see develop. Um, but I wouldn't, yeah, I would take the criticism of, of, of Joey. I'd hold on criticism Joey until I see him, you know, with decent ball on the front foot. Um, and then obviously I think that will help him find his, his way a little mm. bit better. In the Sharks game at the start of the season, uh, the very first game, I think he only had maybe five yeah. touches on the ball, Carby. It was a really weird game. Obviously, like a large part of the first half was down in the Sharks 22. There was a long spell. 
And I was going back through the game looking for little clips and highlights and you go, actually, he barely featured. Now, obviously, he can insert himself more into the game. I just think the rumours of his demise are a little bit exaggerated. And I, without, again, trying to talk him down because it's been great to see Healy, I think the talk of him pushing Johnny Sexton for Ireland is a little bit early as well. You know, it is a great place for him to be. It is great for Joey to feel a bit of pressure. And I think there's responsibility on him to be really assertive um, on the pitch and, and really grab hold of it. Um, but it is still early days. Oh, it sure is. I, I wasn't even aware of rumours of Carberry's demise, to be honest. And I they're wasn't talking about ostracising one <laughs> and giving <laughs> no, the jersey no, for life to you. another. Really just talking about who would you pick at 10 this weekend when Munster play mm. Connacht? And that's who we're going to talk about next. Such a deflating feeling to this game given the high that they were on, Murray, uh, after the victory against the Bulls. And I thought it was interesting that some of the players, and Andy Friend especially, kept uh, highlighting the lack of energy that they were able to produce uh, in this defeat to the Dragons in Galway. And it's hard to sort of look beyond a feeling that it was just complacency, really, if you were on the absolute high of a life after a brilliant performance in your home ground the week before and if you train well all week as friends said they did and yet you just can't produce it maybe you just couldn't really get up for a game against a team who haven't beaten you in i don't know four or more years it is really deflating especially because it's not a huge shock either like it's up and down constantly over the last few years and and all the kind of concerns we highlighted the first couple of weeks of the pod we're present again you know it is going to be up and down that's the reality of it when you're as Bernard's highlighted like trying to punch above your weight in terms of financial might and resources and and all of that and it's so hard to hit a real peak every weekend like that's the issue here is that when Connacht get those big wins they're they're playing a 9 or 10 out of 10 performance and and when they go back closer to to the mean or the average they they will lose games and they won't get those results. So it's it's thoroughly dispiriting. A lot of it is in their own hands. There's so much in this game where opportunities for the Dragons come from simple Connacht errors. That's the kind of team in it. You know, they gave away possession while they had attacking um, opportunities so many times, and and that led directly to to Dragon scores. The other side of it is the Dragons were really good. I think that is a, a massive part of it as well. And maybe Connacht did underestimate that a little bit, but that's two really good performances from the Dragons in a row, and they were they were thoroughly deserving of their of their win. I, unfortunately, I think this is the reality for Connacht again this season that it's going to be up and down. That they're not going to be able to hit those peaks every every single weekend. Um, but I think there's a real onus to get it right. You know, Dragons at home. Again, I'm not trying to talk the Dragons down or, or underestimate what they can bring, but that is absolutely a fixture you have to win because they're the ones at the end of the season that you reflect on and go, how do we let that opportunity slip? That's why we're not in the top eight or, or whatever the, the goal might be. So, um, yeah, a, a real back down to earth moment for Connacht um, and now a tough couple of weekends away to Munster, then Ulster to come as well. So it's a, a tough finish to this block for them. It sure is. We do need to pay the Dragons their dues as well, Bernard, which we will do. They've done, uh, or they've had a solid start to the season probably last week when they came close to beating Leinster. We were obsessed with Leinster's errors and what Leinster did wrong. I'm sure we did allude to the fact that the Dragons actually defended well as well, but this time we saw saw kind of a different side to them, a more complete side to them, if you like, and it was just a really impressive performance. The likes of which we just haven't seen from them in Ireland or even at home against the provinces in recent years. 
Yeah, they've they've been building really nicely. They've um they managed to beat I think all they've beaten all other regions over the last uh 18 months, which um have been a long time coming. Um they developed some really good young homegrown players, the likes of the centre and Iron Owen, um Tane Basham, um Ollie Griffiths was was already there. They've, they're phenomenal they're actually a really good back five now, um in, in terms of, you know, guys like Harrison Keddy, Ollie Griffiths, uh, Aaron Wainwright, Tane Basham, Will Rowlands, um uh young Ben uh Ben Carson, the the lock has come true was in the Welsh squad, and then Jonah Holmes is on fire in the wing, and they have this guy Jordan Williams, who if you haven't heard of him, and, and the first you saw him was last weekend, look him up on YouTube. He is he's the George Best of, of rugby, just a gifted kid, really quiet, shy. I, I signed him back from Bristol. He played for Scarlets as a, a youngster, not overly fond of defending, um, has problems with both his shoulders, but when he has the ball. He can make things uh, happen. Jordan Williams, and he just gave them that little spark, a little chip over the top, um, which they've lacked. Well, they lacked against Leinster. They had no real creativity against Leinster. It was a very dogged and pragmatic performance. Um, but when he plays, he can make things happen. And, and you know, Jamie Roberts is, 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 is to come back in as well. You know, they've got good halfbacks, Roger Williams, Sam Davies. Um, so, they, yeah, they're, they're, they're not whipping boys anymore. And uh, it's good for the league that, you know they've been able to come out on a very bad week for the Welsh regions, where the other three um, failed to get wins at home. Um, uh, they they came over here and and you know got a got a great win for for them and and, and deserved it in fairness. One of the other things that I, I suppose is disappointing for Connacht and and has maybe been an issue is like it was kind of a nice afternoon for the Dragons, wasn't it? That is not why you want an opposition coming to your house experiencing, you know. And I think Connacht have to have that real nasty edge at all at all times again their best performances they have a, an unbelievable aggression and doggedness um and, I, and I, I just wonder why that dips away and and whether that needs to be a key part of their identity as well because they've they focus on fast relentless adaptable but i think connect are the best need to be really nasty as well and have that edge and make it a really shitty place to come even when it's not pissing down rain sideways in galway um because you've got to have massive respect for your own patch as well i think friend identified that immediately in the aftermath bernard as well when he's talking about the energy thing like it just felt flat and you know you mentioned ben healy having a bit of an armchair right it almost felt like that for the dragons as murray says it was it seemed like they were enjoying themselves able to express themselves i had a, a lovely weekend away in galway you know and and friend is now when i'm saying i think it's complacency i mean who the hell am i to to even make a claim like that but i do feel as though even subconsciously if the dragons are coming to your patch back of your mind you're probably thinking that should be a win that should be a win and maybe like compared to the energy you had to exert against the bulls to win you weren't able to recreate it against the dragons you know yeah it certainly looked like that and that would be a killer if it is because that's what they're they're give out about but other teams not respecting them so um you know it, they if they want to have respect they've got to be consistent week in week out and last year you know they managed to win in, in leinster munster and ulster for the first time which is incredibly difficult to do but some of their other performances at home um and some of their performances on the road just lack that that you wouldn't believe it was the same team to be honest it seemed that you know and that's that's going to be really hard for them for and for the coaches to fix but when they get that right, when they get that level of consistency right, um, they have a chance of of being, you know, in Europe next year. I think it's going to be incredibly tough for them the way the format is. But that 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 result at the end of the season could be the one 
that they really rue in terms of having blown an opportunity open to lose at home um, and to give Dragons, you know, the bonus point or, or, or not, uh, is just is just really, really poor from their point of view. It's a credit to the Dragons, but they got to win those types of games. The worst part of this injury update this week, Gav, as well as um, Tom Farrell picking up a shoulder injury because he's so important to how they attack and how creative he is and how strong a runner he is as well. There's so much to his game. We've been waiting on an update on the, the kind of, consultation but even the fact that that's part of it is is worrying so fingers crossed he can get back quickly he's really important player for them if a little bit still kind of unsung just before we talk about the other two provinces given we've just had a chat about both Munster and Connacht looking ahead to the weekend I'll get an early prediction from you guys Murray how do you see that one going I think Munster win at home particularly given what happened last time um, and how Munster took their eye off the ball at that opportunity in the rainbow cup so i think there'll be a real focus determination and that competitiveness in the squad is is a really good factor that being said bernard what connacht produced in that rainbow cup game nobody saw coming they'd shift 50 points to leinster <laughs> and this is this would be vintage quintessential connacht if they went to Dome and turned <laughs> monster over so how do you see it going <laughs> it actually nearly be embarrassing for them to, to actually go and win in monster having been poor last week but no no i i, I think there'll be a backlash from connacht um, but Munster, Munster must be in a in a in a good place and big selection for Johan. You'd imagine he'll he'll stick pretty closely to the the draft selection he would have had before the Scarlets game. But certainly pressure on all those guys come back in to to perform and and uh, yeah, I'd imagine I'd imagine that the Connacht have Bundy coming back. I think which will be a, a boost. And I think Connor will make it very tough for them, but I, I fancy Munster to win. Looking at Ulster then, it feels as though even though they have maximum points on the board, they have a rake of injuries of their own uh, they haven't even nearly hit their stride which is a good thing Bernard in the sense that like I'm not sure Dan McFarlane given the personnel that's been available to them could have asked a great deal more of his team over the last three weekends and yet there feels as though there should be another gear for them to go up to or even a couple more gears when things get a little bit hairy in bigger games this was a significant test of their credentials as we outlined last week against a informed confident Benedict Benetton team they beat them pretty comprehensively it wasn't the greatest game to watch but it was job done and a job pretty well done in the end yeah I thought they were comfortable um without I totally agree with you it's it's weird they've got you know three bonus points um but you still don't feel they're in, in in top gear and in fairness the fact that he's had so many injuries has has probably you know um forced his hand a little bit uh, they're in a good place. Ravenhill on a on a on a Friday night um is is special. It's a hard place to go and 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 um I never felt you know, I was up there. I never felt they were going to to lose it. But um some youngsters coming through again. You know I thought McCann was McCann, Dave McCann was very good at eight. Um uh you know Doak obviously is getting a, a lot of limelight and um looks very comfortable and and very mature in in, in that position. Um. Yeah, they're, they're they're going to be a, they're going to be a good side. I don't think they're a million miles away. I think Vermeulen, Vermeulen would be a huge boost for them to come in and whenever he comes in, in December, um, get guys back from injury. They've got speed, a lot of speed on the edges. Um, there's been a real significant change in how they're attacking now. Uh, with obviously Dan Soper, um, replacing Dwayne Peel, they're really focused on that two sided attack, and you can see. You can see them getting into that shape a lot earlier, and that's giving them opportunities down the down the edge. And yeah, they're, I think they're building nicely. I think their their lineouts good. Um, I think Herring is, is is playing very well, as I said. And um, yeah, they're. I just wonder about the front five. I I, I fear 
a fair bit of front five when it comes to the crunch. Um, but they're in a good place. One of those front five to whom you allude there, Rob Herring, Murray, 200 cap over the weekend. And for a guy who came over on what he described as almost a seven-month trial, and it was a two-year contract, but with the little caveat or clause that if it wasn't working out for both parties, he could return to South Africa. I think he had begun to study third level at that stage, and he was a little bit unsure. He hadn't been to Belfast before, didn't know how it was going to go. And what is it, nine years later, 200 appearances, Ireland International has raised a family in Belfast. Uh, That's worked out for all parties pretty nicely, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And such a consistent performer like um i can't really remember him having bad games to be honest for for ulster certainly his set piece stuff is always nailed on um loves them all try uh really combative around the pitch he has a jackal threat as well always has been able to make turnovers or influence the game that way um and just does a really good job across the board without being a particularly flashy guy he's obviously not the biggest most explosive front row forward in, in the world but always really excellent performer. And you've seen that even with Ireland with the, the calls consistently for Ronan Keller to, to get that starting berth. And of course, that's going to be part of the progression for Ireland, I, I do believe. And, and, and it may happen sooner rather than later, but Herring has been deserving of holding onto his jersey for lots of those big games and, and has delivered around the set piece and his consistency and his low, very low error, error rate, which is a, a massive thing at the top level of rugby because often errors are, are the things that decide games. So yeah, wonderful career and definitely still plenty more left in him. He won't be giving up that Ireland battle at, at hooker um, easily at all. So um, yeah, a, a, an excellent player. Different kind of challenge in Belfast tomorrow, Birch. The Lions coming over to face Ulster. They're on the back of coming pretty close against Glasgow last weekend. Uh, how do you see that one going? Um, yeah, they got robbed by a, a, a TMO try um, that, that wasn't. Um, they're, they've been good. They've Obviously, they got a win, you know, the easiest fixture um, out there at Zebra at round one. Um, and... Yeah, they'll go to Ulster obviously with nothing to lose. I think, from what I understand, their objective is to is to get a bonus point for four tries in every game away from home. And um, obviously, they feel if they can score 20, 24, 26 points, um, they'll they'll have a chance of winning if their defence can can um, be a little bit more resolute. So probably gonna throw it around for sure. Have have a lot of pace, power, um, in a good place in terms of you know being competitive on this trip and. But Ulster will uh, Ulster will win. I, I I don't see Ulster slipping up there. But it promised to be a um, a good game. I think it's you know Ulster want to play from deep in their own half. The Lions do, and that op- that opens up opportunities when two teams want to play. So uh, yeah, it's I'm looking forward. I'm actually up there. I think Murray is as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. It has the feeling of an eighty point there, Murray. I absolutely love that ideology of <laughs> just wanting to score a four try bonus point in every away game. Sure, feck it, why not? That's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Do you share Bernard's view that it should be, in the end, a comprehensive win for Ulster? Or do you fancy it being a little bit closer? Yeah, I think it would be really good to see a, a very comprehensive and complete Ulster performance after all the promising signs, but little bits of gains have got away from them. Um, and just to say on Nathan Doak, like, he's such an exciting prospect. I know you had in your notes beforehand about, uh, you know, should he be involved with Ireland this autumn i think so i actually really do think so because there's no overlap with league games that he could be getting you know additional experience with with ulster what's to be lost by having him in the ireland camp i think it's really clear and has been even before he's had this run of games to be honest 
based on speaking to people in the pipeline the system that his potential is is really elite he's a guy who could feature in the 2023 world cup absolutely so i i don't see what's to be lost by bringing him into the environment get him up to speed if he handles it well you never know even in that third argentina game potentially cap him he definitely looks like a really special player and i think in ireland we're always hesitant and cautious um, and sometimes there's no need when it's really clear that a guy has the head for it and the desire for it and also the, the skill set for it. So I think he's one that we should absolutely be excited about. Yes, there are going to be setbacks and there's going to be poor performances and mistakes. And obviously it's a pity there's no European rugby before the autumn test to, to let him have that experience. But he's a really exciting player for Irish rugby. I'd love to see it happen this this autumn. It kind of feels, feels like an inevitability that it will happen, Bernard, in the sense that we were speaking about it after what two three games where he has impressed and if he continues to impress there's almost nothing you can no case to be made for him not being involved in autumn is there no i think you should bring him in for even if he's just in as one of those development players to to be around the camp look at you know um i've seen him since he was about 16 uh he has an aura about him he has that ruan pinar type time and and never looks rattled uh but competitive uh side to him as well uh, i'd say he, he's a nightmare to, to play against but he he believes in himself and um he's getting a he's getting such a nice introduction i know he got his first game last year but uh with, with cooney being injured um he's been instrumental in a lot of the good things that ulster have done and uh i know dan will try and keep the hype down about him which is natural but I think his performances every time he plays at the moment he's he's making people stand up and take notice and uh, I, I do think Andy Farrell you know should include him in November not saying he should start or any of that but definitely include him and, and see how he makes that next level up the polar opposite then of the RG Snyman situation as Leinster beats Zebra and Adam Byrne returning from a similar uh, absence or a similar period of absence as the one to which Snyman faces now and just magical scenes as well Murray to see him enjoy that moment at the end with his family scored two tries did well um, games against Zebra are difficult to make sound interesting in a way when we're speaking about any of the provinces playing against them so this is where I'm starting and uh, good vibes all around really yeah wonderfully happy occasion for Adam Byrne he did really well I thought he's athletically always been brilliant but he looks even stronger and more powerful and sharper and took his his couple of tries really well linking with Johnny Sexton on a a couple of occasions and a few other lovely touches even one breaking out of his 22 and showing that ambition Um, but just on a a human level you you have to be so happy for the guy and and it's clear that everyone was his family have helped him through an unbelievably tough period of nearly two years um, this time out of the game and he's obviously had injury issues before that as well a guy who played for 18 played for Leinster rather at the age of 18 was the youngest player ever when Joe Schmidt um, gave him a chance against Connacht uh, many years ago and he's been stunted and slowed by injuries has played for Ireland so he's been up to, to that peak um, but there's a hell of a lot more to come from him and he's um, yeah it's it's hard not to be just delighted for the guy he was emotional I know on the on the day and and just loved the experience of it. He never played when fans were away, you know. He didn't have that experience. He was laughing with his teammates. So all he knows is coming back and his family are all there and it's all fun and games. So um, that was lovely to see. Obviously brilliant to see Johnny Sexton come off the bench and just, again, underline how physically and mentally sharp he is at the moment. Obviously, as you say, it's, it's Zebra. And I think they will have a really tough season. Um, I know myself and Bertrand were chatting about it. 
you know, they're probably looking at the fixture list and, and wondering where those wins are going to come from at the moment. They got to improve very quickly. But Sexton was excellent, really aggressive, confrontational as he is at his best uh, and some lovely touches around the ball. He made their attacking shape flow really nicely. And it's very clear to everyone that he's highly motivated, very fit and absolutely miles ahead of everyone else in the in the 10 pecking order in Ireland. He's just underlined once again how important he is. So um, lots of lots of good individual bits there. I think Leinster will be frustrated with loads of elements of it. They've been chopping and changing team, etc. Looking for their most cohesive performance levels. But at the same time, they'll be happy enough to be taken along with, with wins early on in the season. Yeah, Sexton outstanding again, Bernard. Uh, frustration on the flip side for Harry Byrne probably a little bit similar to what we've seen of Carberry in some of those earlier games where he doesn't quite feel um, up to speed necessarily by his own standards and obviously Harry Byrne is coming back from injury and is haunted by injury, plagued by it really um, in a more recent context than Carberry it's just annoying for him really to put it plain and simply no, that and, and sometimes young players get those those injuries you know more regularly than than the, the senior pro who's built up that level of robustness he's still quite a slight um you know physical specimen and and uh the 10 channel you know it's, it's no coincidence that joey and ben uh ben healy are, are you know are, are lower down in the tackle stats because that's the easiest place to go after, um, you know, offset piece, and and it's very hard to protect or hide a, a ten anymore. So he's coming in for a bit of punishment, and yeah, just just unfortunate. But look, we know he's talented. Um, he he'll he'll get a, a run of games, and he'll show how 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 good he is. But yeah, definitely frustrating for Leinster, and and um, it's interesting. Uh, I really found it interesting the way Felipe said that they still see Frawley as a twelve, um, and. Uh, I, I would say Frawley's stock is, is, is rising rapidly um, as a 10 or a 12, you know, but I, I can see why they, they see him as a 12 because he, he has the potential to be um, a game changer in terms of that, that second playmaker with division and a, a kicking game of a 10. But at, at some stage, you would imagine if Ross was to pick up a knock, you know, um, they may have to divert him to 10 for a while. And I think he could do a good job there as well. I, I think he's a, he's a really interesting prospect. Where do you see his future, Murray? Because even in the first half when Leinster looked a little bit disjointed, it felt like Frawley was the guy keeping things ticking over, linking things together a little bit. And he seems to be excelling at 12, but in doing so, he's showing a lot of the qualities that would make you believe he, he can be a very competent 10 as well, which is obviously where he began. Yeah, I think na- just nailing down the 12 and, and focusing on that, I, I think roles can change regardless of the number on, on your back. Like, it doesn't have to just be the 10 who's running absolutely everything at, at all times. And Leinster have been really consistent under Lancaster around that dual playmaker um, to kind of creative players who can distribute model. It's been something that Lancaster has consistently pursued, whether it's 10-15 or 10-12, or and, and absolutely Frawley fits into that mould. I think for him, it's nice to get that run now as he has at 12. He's been held back as well by, by niggling, niggling injuries and just unfortunate timing around some of that but um, he's shown plenty in, in the 12 shirt and I think he's a really nice option there because he's big and robust and aggressive as as well as skillful. Will Hugh Hogan have a trick up his sleeve in Dublin this weekend for Leinster, Birch or should Scarlett's passive defence be almost a, a greater concern this weekend? Oh look I think he's going to have a big week obviously um you know, it's it's not never nice when you can see that many points as defence coach, particularly at home. 
Um, having said that, I mean, there was some really poor, I don't think it was all down to system at all, it was just some really poor individual reads, um, work rates, you know, the first one for Ken Owens' miss on, on, on Jack O'Sullivan was, you know, was very, very poor from him. Uh, so look, I think the Scarlets weren't in a good place mentally for that game for whatever reason, whether they were overconfident. Um, they're better than that. You'd expect a, a backlash. They have, they don't have the depth Leinster have, but they have a 15 that, um, you know, can can do damage. And I, I think they'll be they'll be hell of a lot better. But again, you can't, it's hard to see Leinster losing. Bonus point win for Leinster, Mur. Yeah, I think we'll definitely see their best performance. I was actually talking to Hugh Hogan this week and, and hopefully get a piece out this evening on the on the 42. And, and, and there was definitely an element to that. Like, we all looked at the Munster team and thought, oh, geez, you know, Scarlets are going to be real confident about winning that. And that probably was the case, you know. Uh, so many changes, you can it can kind of disrupt your mental prep a little bit. Um, and it, it was fascinating to hear him talking about, like, scouting and prepping for Leinster, where he's literally just left only a couple of months ago. Like, the challenge for him is condensing all of it into something that's uh, digestible for his players because obviously he could sit down for five hours and present about Leinster and what they do but the players attention span lasts what Birch is it two or three minutes these days and, and you got to be really concise at most, at most. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it'll be fascinating to see what he does I, I'm really interested just to see what picture they throw at Leinster defensively and how he tries to disrupt the, the things he knows so well but listen Leinster's absolute strength quality at home you'll have to back them to to get a good win at home well for the handful of you at home who've made it an hour and nine minutes into this podcast then <laughs> let's run through a couple of the games the other games this weekend and obviously Murray the South Africans seem to be finding form or finding their feet in this competition now there's actually a lovely looking fixture here between the Dragons and the Stormers, which is tomorrow night, Friday night, as we record. Uh, sorry, as in the game takes place on Friday night, we record on a Thursday. And Dragons will be confident. Stormers just look naturally confident. Uh, how do you see that one going? Yeah, that was the best part of last weekend, wasn't it? The improved performances across the board. Bulls, an incredible second half performance. Stormers were really frustrated to draw in Edinburgh and, and um, the Sharks via some of their class drop goal stuff, uh, had a brilliant win in, in Ospreys as well. You'd hope to see that tour kind of block that they've had four weeks end on a, on a high here now and, and they back up last weekend's performances. They've improved in some really kind of key areas across the, the weeks. The penalty count is the obvious one. Like the very first weekend, they were all struggling and talking about interpretations. They've definitely got a better grip on that. And you saw the penalty come penalty count come down. They've been better in terms of things like exiting their own defensive territory, whether that's kick or run, but actually getting out and getting into good positions on the pitch. They're winning more gain line, using some of those powerful players that we know they have in, in more ideal circumstances. And then even their line out. Like you can see that there's more scouting going on. They're getting obviously more familiar with how teams are operating, getting more footage obviously and, and digging into it. And, and they've had a better return there as well. They still aren't really converting as much as they'd like in the 22 because they've they've had lots of opportunities but you look at the metrics there and, and they're kind of down in, in that area of the of the game but loads of positive signs about them making a kind of short-term improvement and i'd be enthused to see a couple more good results or, or very strong performances from them this weekend you are kind of the mutual friend in this equation bernard uh dragons against stormers any word from dabo on the lads this week how do you see that one going yeah they're, they're hopeful i actually think stormers will win i think they'll um I think it'll be a great game, but I, I think that that's the challenge for the Dragons now is to is to do a Connacht on it and back up, um, you know, a win with a win. And I, I like the way the Stormers are shaping up, and and I think Connacht, sorry, Dragons 
struggle with that power um, that the the Stormers have. So uh, it should be a really interesting game. The pitch is in great nick there. Um, the Stormers want to play. Uh, you know, so Murray's point about the South Africans having adapted to the uh, the refereeing. I think it's gone. It, it's it's a bit of both. I think they had such good footage and such good uh, ref mic evidence to go back to the referees after two rounds um, that the referees were aware of maybe a um, unemployed bias. And, you know, they, they're getting fair play. Even the communication to the South Africans, the referees, some of the referees knew their names. It was phenomenal stuff to, uh, in round three. So, um, they uh, yeah, it wasn't just that they actually learned the rules. Um, they improved some of their pitchers and and the referees were aware that um it was like uh it was like derby day to current how much riding they were doing uh on, on the South African team so um yeah it's it, it's a bit of both to be honest they've all done a razzy basically yeah, is what they have. yeah they have done a razzy without going on youtube but uh uh it works. it works yeah it works of course it is when it's obvious you know Let's uh, run through a couple of these fixtures before we wrap, and uh, we'll keep it very brief. Zebra at home to Glasgow Warriors. Can Zebra get a win there, Bernard? Um, no, 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 they won't. Uh, okay. I, I think Zebra won't get a win for a long time. Maybe sometime after Christmas. Murray, Benetton at home to Ospreys. Do Benetton bounce back in this one? Yeah, I think they do. I think they're in a nice place. Um they have had a pretty consistent performance level. They've got a really good squad now, actually. Some comp- competition across the board. Some really good young Italian players as well. So I'd bounce. I, I back them to bounce um, back at home. Two more to go. Edinburgh at home to the Bulls. Birch? Uh Edinburgh. Edinburgh, yeah. I think um, they... I know they, they had, a, had a draw at the weekend against Stormers, but I think I think Edinburgh in a good place with a happy squad, and I think they'll win. And finally, Murray, this is on at 25 to 8 on Saturday night. Cardiff Cardiff Rugby against the Sharks. Yeah, I think Cardiff will get back to something more like what we saw the first weekend. I know we were complimenting them against Connacht and they were very disappointing in that second half last weekend. So uh, go for a home win again there. Nice. Thank you both, gents. Thank you. Cheers, Gav. Thanks to everybody at home as well. If you want extra rugby podcasts, Murray... Records with Owen Toolan, a brilliant performance analyst, on Mondays. And that podcast lands into your podcast player, I should stress, on Mondays for the 42 members. It's members.the42.ie. If you sign up there, you also get the latest episode of The Football Family, which came out this week. Paul Dollery, Gav Cooney and David Snade talking about Ireland's 4-0 victory over Qatar. Loads more things as well. Uh, Extra podcasts, a whole archive of them. Uh, the bylines project just go to members.the42.e you'll get all the information and you can make a call on it then it's a fiver a month or 42 euro for the year and obviously if you do sign up you're supporting our independent sports journalism as well so we do appreciate all of you who have done so so far Uh, enjoy all of the rugby over the weekend murray will be back on monday as i say for members and the three of us will be back in the regular slot next thursday so until then mind yourselves and take it easy